रोशनी का करवा दिस पॉडकास्ट इज ब्रॉट टू यू बाय बैरियर ब्रेक सॉल्यूशंस प्राइवेट लिमिटेड एंड स्कोर फाउंडेशन Hi my name is George Abraham and welcome to Iway Conversations my guest today is Anand Kulkarni a young filmmaker from Mumbai uh, so Anand uh, you've made several films tell us uh, something about the films that you've made that you are really proud of the films that i make sir uh, would qualify as commercial films not so much as feature films or the kind bollywood is associated with um well some of my really really good films that i'm proud of are the independent films that i've made with uh, nasiruddin shah over something called as indoor air pollution the film essentially talks about how various things inside the house um, are detrimental to your health what i'm really proud about is not that this film won national and international awards but uh, this was used for lobbying to release the draft uh, guidelines towards indoor air quality in, in this country and i think that's a deep honor The second interesting film is also an independent film on the Dadar Parsi colony and how the largest Zoroastrian conclave and enclave came to be in India and at Dadar and how it was all achieved by an Indian man who convinced the British government to give them land and build the colonies for them you know so it was really interesting apart from that sir um what my memory takes me to is the very very first commercial film that I did for access bank uh, it involved children it involved animals and as filmmakers we usually stay away from these because they are really hard to get performances out of and that very first film that i did was selected for something called as the abbeys which is let's say the film fair for advertising awards i'm also proud of many other works particularly the stuff that we've done with mahindra tractors we've uh, done a show with them uh, it's called so the future sow and it's gathered over 22 awards we've uh, worked with farmers across maharashtra and sometimes uh, even in punjab and tamil nadu and it's essentially uh, getting a tele a television celebrity uh, mm-hmm. we worked with mohan kapoor to go to different farms and discover the best practices in farming and it was it was really something touching uh, it, it it was an experience that touched me beyond just the routine of um, making films and you know just getting you know okay this is a nice one and hey it's appreciated but just that interaction and uh, this uh, the whole process of doing that was very very interesting and uh, a last but not the least film that comes to my head is something that we did for shapurji palanji um to inspire compliance or say um acceptance of safety standards in the workers we were challenged to do something more than a corporate film or a brand film or a typical thing that goes around so we literally for three and a half months roamed around construction sites from uh, nuclear power plants under construction to about commercial spaces and buildings stayed in the labor camp with the laborers and made like a fictional um, almost like a short film with a with a bhojpuri touch to it i collaborated with people from yashraj on this and it turned out to be one of the most challenging things i've ever done because there are no lifts there's a lot of cement cement in the food cement in the nostrils cement in the camera and cement everywhere else and uh, <laughs> we essentially crashed for 36 hours after we wrapped up on that shoot but it was very very interesting and co- coincidentally it also got some awards uh, recently 
Okay. Um, uh, so uh, you've been making films for a while now, it appears. And uh, it'll be interesting to know how did you actually get your first assignment? Um, so what happens, sir? I did a course called Bachelors in Mass Media from KC College in Mumbai. Yeah. That's the only college who accepted me for a visual course. And uh, as a part of that program, we had to do practical projects. So 36 subjects, 36 practical projects. Most of them were making films. So I realized early on that I love films. And in our college, internships were mandatory. And I was always wanting to do something on my own. So rather than work at a company, I picked up the camera. I went to <laughs> many people, knocked on their doors and said, I want to do films. I want to make films. So I made family films for people talking about their families. Looking at this, uh, someone um, someone caught, uh, I mean, some film got their attention or something. And they called me for a film to do for ILMFS. It literally was, it, it literally came knocking on my door because I had no idea of how all this works. So that's the story of my uh, first film, so to say. And uh, it was a film uh, that we made for the board of Island FS. And uh, it showcased something like um, rehabilitation and, and uh, project affected people and how they are being looked after by INFS. So what happens, I mean, you did these assignments, how did the ILFS people get to see it? Where did you post it? Was it on YouTube or something? Or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely on YouTube, on WhatsApp. I shared it with my families and friends and, um, you know, just, uh, just everywhere I could post. The typical things we do to get attention <laughs> to our films, although we know that they're not very well made, but still. In fact, my degree project was on uh, the prisons of the country. It's called Branded Evil. It cannot be released into the public domain because we went inside the Tihar jail and inside the Andhra Pradesh jail and everything. But um, the trailer is out and I think that may have got the attention. And I never actually asked them which one of them <laughs> convinced the ILFS guys that I could make a film for them. Uh, now, you did mention that uh, you uh, did your course in films uh, from KC College. And you also said that they were the only uh, institute that actually were willing to accept you. Uh, can you talk us through some of the experiences that you had in trying to actually get into a course? Uh, to be very honest, sir, um, I, the BMM was something that happened as a last minute in my head. In fact, it was my elder brother who suffers with a similar eyesight disorder who looked at what I wanted to do and I had no idea. And he said, hey, the things that you're describing, all this copywriting and writing radio jingles and all, it's covered in the course called Bachelors in Mass Media. So uh, I went and applied at uh, top colleges in Mumbai. Uh, these will be the colleges that come to your head. The first thing uh, <laughs> when you think of Mumbai. Yeah. And um, it so happened that they put me on their list. But then each one of them, uh, in different words, just simply said that, hey, we're not going to accept you. I have to apply in the special category. We're going to accept something from sports or someone from defense because... Bachelors in Mass Media is a very visually intensive course. We have designing, photography, filmmaking, and a host of other uh, visually demanding subjects. Uh, we need to work with software that are visual in nature. I didn't know this at the time, but I see their point. So they politely declined. And so did Casey College at the first go. And then they put my name again in the shortlist. And I was like, hey, this is like rubbing, uh, you know, solve an injury. So I went and spoke to them and uh, my uh, department, HOD Manjula ma'am, and the then principal uh, Manjuni Chani ma'am, spoke to them elaborately and they very candidly expressed their concern that, hey, you may do this course, but what about life? How are you going to survive with this course and this kind of training in life? Because, hey, honestly, <laughs> you know, the thing that they didn't say is that it's not possible for a visually impaired guy 
to do the kind of things that you're aspiring for. But um, I told them, I don't know how am I going to do it. If I can do the course, I'll somehow manage in life. And then they gave me a seat. And that's, that's the story. Interesting, interesting. So um, uh, obviously, uh, the course itself was very visual driven. So uh, were people around to help you for it with it or everything was done by yourself? Um, it's both, sir, actually. Because it was an intensive and demanding course, people helped out wherever they have to and wherever wherever they could. Um, but much of the things was left to me and to my uh, family and other sources that I rely on. For instance, if you are having a project and I'm having a project, I can help you only if I'm done with mine and I have some spare time. But having said that, I mean, uh, people these days are very, very supportive. They, un- they don't understand what you're going through in terms of a, a visual limitation, but they always respond to help. And I always ask for help, whether it be an elevator door or a Photoshop file, I ask for help when I need it. So they were very supportive in that. And the teachers also gave me a little bit of um, margin in terms of giving me a little bit more time to finish my assignments over others. And, and it all worked out well. So at the end of the course, uh, if you were to kind of list out the actual skills you developed, which uh, kind of enabled you to be independent, uh, like, for example, say, sound editing or, say, uh, photo editing or maybe working with the camera, uh, what were the skills uh, that you personally kind of uh, acquired? And uh, obviously, filmmaking is, uh, uh, is not something that you do alone. There are people who would work with you. So, but there are certain skills that you bring to the table yourself. So what were the skills that you picked up from the course? Well, there are two aspects to this. One is uh, um, a vocational kind of a skill that could give me um, employment. Yeah. And one is the personal side of the skills. Yeah. On the vocational side, you're right. I did pick up uh, how to edit on, on Final Cut Pro on the Mac, uh, how to handle a camera, not in terms of the camera settings, but understand an estimate if the camera is here and this is the kind of lens and it's pointing that direction, what may it be capturing? Because it's all imagination in my head. I not really seeing the picture. Yeah. It gives me a deep understanding of the technicalities of sound, uh, uh, sound designing, recording and everything like that. But I think the most important two things that the course allowed me to do was to one, commit mistakes. I call my 36 projects, my 36 failures because I sucked at every single one of them. Yeah. And and that is the biggest thing because I did not do that professionally again. And the second and the most valuable skill set to me was the ability to understand and work with people, given the fact that it's equally frustrating for them to receive directions from a person who can't even see what is in front of us. So you imagine this, I ask them to set a camera and say, I want this. But they're like, hey, but there's, this, there's not this color, there's not this taxi, there's not this person. So then we go back and forth. So it's a frustrating exercise for them as well. But to just, you know, work with them and figure out how each of us can achieve our fulfillment through this process, that was the biggest takeaway um, from BMM for me. And uh, if if I may add, uh, I was a technological dummy before I went to my college. I didn't even have an email address. That's how dumb I was. And I walked out of it uh, <laughs> sometimes even typing a little bit of code into my softwares to get things done. So that understanding and empowerment of technology was super, super amazing for my life. If you know of anyone with vision impairment who needs guidance on living life with blindness, please share 
the Iway National Toll Free Helpline number 18005320469. The number is 18005320469. This uh, eye condition that you have, uh, this is retinitis pigmentosa, is it? No, it's called macular dystrophy uh, or Stargardt. So uh, this condition, when did it show up? It was, I'm sure it was, you were not born with it. You must, it must have shown up some stage in life. Yeah. Um, so for me and my elder brother, uh, it was my elder brother actually who got diagnosed first at the age of seven or his second standard. Right. And he went through a multitude of torturing tests, Ayurveda, allopathy, uh, horoscopy and whatnot. And finally, Shankar I detected him. And four years later, when I was showing the same symptoms at the age of seven, that is when it got detected for me as well, that, hey, this is the exact same thing that happened. And so this is macular dystrophy. Um, and thereafter, okay, it's interesting after that. So uh, uh, was it a rapid kind of decline or it was uh, kind of gradual and uh, you had time to kind of adjust? I am sure it was a gradual decline because if had it been rapid, I would have noticed it much, uh, much more. Yeah. So it means to, for example, it's uh, I could use enlarged textbooks till I was in fifth standard, but after that, it stopped working for me. I could uh, draw like a geometric triangles and stuff that one needs to do in, in in exams. But after seventh standard, that stopped for me. After the ninth standard, I couldn't write anymore, and so it was very very gradual after that. So I'm I'm confident it's gradual. So uh, what was the kind of uh alternatives that you resorted to when these challenges started uh, appearing in your life? Well, um, there are two parts of this. Uh, my, the, when I got diagnosed, I was in Nagpur. It's a small town in Maharashtra. I was yeah. And there we didn't have much facility. In fact, the schools and probably society at large often uh, thought that me and my brother were acting because, hey, blind kids without canes, that's impossible. So there we didn't have any other alternative but enlarging textbooks. As we moved to Mumbai in 2000, a lot more was happening. We were introduced to computers and scanning and OCR was in their recent stages. So I think pretty much after the 10th standard, I started uh, scanning and, and reading everything to my computer. Software like Read Please and JAWS were very popular. And of course, I mean, it's, I mean every, every visually impaired person knows that all of this is only happening because your parents stand by you. Because they are your default fallback options when textbooks um, have something that is to be illustrated or, or stuff like computers don't work sometimes. So they've always been there. Uh, so um, I was reading somewhere that uh, your dad was working with the government and he made changes to his uh, career and his uh, life. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Right. So... so um, I was in second, uh, I was in fourth standard, sorry. And my brother was eighth, very much near to his uh, 10th standard, which is a milestone. And in Nagpur, we realized that, uh, you know, it's not just, there's no way out. The schools are not going to understand. We don't have the infrastructure here. So my dad is is a super scholar, right? He's got, I think, PhDs in law and MTech and a couple of other degrees just lying around the house. And he's a scientist by his uh, by his um, inclination. Yeah. So he was working with the NIRI in Nagpur, that's the National Environmental Engineering Research Institute, yeah. as a head of division. And in, in a couple of years, he might have even made the youngest director of NIRI. 
Yeah. But seeing that his kids uh, will never have a future in Nagpur, he actually, um, oops, <laughs> here come tears. He actually quit his job. He changed entirely his career path. He moved to Bombay for us. And in right. Bombay, he was a lecturer, then a consultant. Then he joined cementation companies as CSR consultants. Fortunately, today he's he's doing really well because of the person he is. But um, he literally sacrificed his entire life for us. And so did my mother because she was working before uh, uh, my brother was born and diagnosed. And after that, she gave up her career because, hey, it's not possible to raise kids, uh, particularly with impairments, if both the parents are working. So she gave up entirely her career, never looked at a job again. Right. And uh, uh, now uh, the interesting question that comes to my mind is uh, how on earth did you think of actually taking up films as a career? So that's the thing about love. It's so blind, you can't even see what's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> in in fact, uh, it was the first film that I made was in the Mumbai Panwalas in my first year of college. Yeah. And I knew right then and there that I am in love with the entire process of filmmaking. It is, it is magical in the sense that you're creating something out of nothing. And the way the cameras go set up and say action, and then you cut something and the way it looks, it, when it comes together, it's a world of its own. That was beautiful. And also it's very challenging. And I love that. It's physically challenging. It's mentally challenging. And I think it was the only thing that I allowed me to use my imagination because I couldn't see 99% of the things. So I had to imagine everything. And, and that was exciting. I can't pinpoint, but I just <laughs> fell in love with filmmaking. I was petrified. So I don't, I mean, it's like falling in love with a woman you can't be with. You know, like, oh, freak, I can't be with this person. She's too good. And uh, <laughs> so I talked to a lot of people, the guest faculties that came into the college uh, who were already uh, assistant directors with leading production houses or something or whatnot. Bhavan Nirani, sir, son, Kayo is a dear, dear friend. And he's a, been a guide to me. And uh, there was another person called uh, Arun who had come in and I just called him and I was crying on the phone like I can't handle it because I'm in love with filmmaking. It's clear, but I don't know if I'll ever be able to make a film. And he simply said to me the following lines. He said, I have DOPs that wear specs that look like magnifying glasses. And hey, nobody knows that you can't make a film. I, th I, am, I have my hands and my eyes and nose intact. And even I don't know if I can make a film. So you'll never have that answer unless you try. And so I tried. Yeah. So uh, now uh, you yourself said that 99% uh, of the stuff that you, uh, that is seen in the camera, you don't see. Right. So uh, what is, what is uh, a blind man actually doing in the film industry? <laughs> well, I do the same thing that, I mean, I mean, there's a profile here called a director who is literally in charge of the crew, who gets, yeah. who gets to do all the decisions yeah. and nobody asks him questions. And that's yeah. really good for me. Yeah. That's my job in the, in the entire process. I, want, I just describe the feel as, as to what I want the shot to feel like, what I want to see, whether it's close or mid or everything, what is there in the frame. And I repeat questions. I, I, I repeatedly ask questions like, hey, what are you seeing in the frame? Oh, is this coming? Oh, how blue is the sky? Are their faces okay? Is, is, there, is there darkness under the eye? Now, these are some things. So the way I learned filmmaking, secret, revealing now, yeah. is, by hearing to, is by hearing everything that everybody else was saying. So in college, when my peers were shooting or reviewing something, they mentioned things like, 
that is the sh- there's a shadow under the eye and then i figured okay so if you're sighted you don't want shadows under the eye because that looks ugly if you're sighted you don't want this to look this way so a lot of conversations that like that i put together and i figured out what is to be done in the frame so a lot of your visual understanding of how the world is by uh, is 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 gained by your acute sense of hearing and your passion for listening to every word people speak right and shameless eavesdropping yes <laughs> To support our work with the blind and visually impaired you can visit the donate page on our website www.scorefoundation.org.in please note www.scorefoundation.org.in Okay. Uh, now I remember when uh, uh, a few years ago when we met, uh, you 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 talked about a company that you have set up uh, to actually uh, under the banner of which you make your films. Tell us how do you uh, what the name is and how did you come across come across this name and how is the company doing? Ah, okay. Um, the name is called Flop Films and it's not a banner banner; it's just a name. Flop Films because uh, two couple of things, right? I was very keen on doing commercial films they were fast they paid um, yeah most of them paid and and um, it was fun to do uh, as against the 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 long term commitment that a bollywood or a feature film requires and flop films because nobody watches them nobody cares after they are done they are shelved immediately and i saw everybody else taking their job way too seriously so in the film world we have this air that we are the weird ones we are the cool ones we are better than humanity or will be and i just wanted to put a pin in that thing so i called it flop films we've done well uh, to my understanding um, i'm the first uh, filmmaker ever in my entire family extended family so uh, with that and with my brother being a ca and mba from stanford my father being a phd and somehow praying to god that i would get to my senses i think i've done well in the films uh, in, in in the company that i've set up initially it was just the typical social media stuff that was coming up you shoot customer stories testimonials little things here and there do a bunch of animation videos for uh, did a bunch of animation video, animation videos for colors and star plus and uh, just the regular bunch of work that comes your way and i just said yes to everything because i was thrilled right i was thrilled to do what i was doing i brutally ignored all the finances i'm like i don't care about it right now i'll, I'll look at it later and uh, it grew and grew and grew and my uh, the, the the pinnacle of that um, uh, journey was uh, back in 2018 when uh, i got to do a project for fox the television and it was an international project and i was supposed to line produce it now line produce means you organize everything for the foreign crew from background artists to sets and everything and they just come here with their creative crew which is usually a director a, a dop or a cinematographer a production person and the actors and you shoot and i did that twice once uh, was for a for a remake of the show called um better late than never um, it's a it's an american show that they were making in turkey and then uh, more seriously or more uh, larger in scope was my work for this uh, 
show called Nerdis and Brother or which means where are you bro- uh, for my brother sorry yeah when i got to work with a crew of 500 people it was nine locations three days we were running around i had police protection and ooh it was a fancy sight i felt like a kid again inside myself like oh my god these eight cars are ours that's so cool looking like going at them look all of them you know how they went in one line in the road and stuff it's crazy so doing well so far i would say and then uh, when the british broadcaster got uh, simply discovered us again i'm like wow i don't do any email marketing i don't do any nonsense and here they are they just called us up like hey we have a project you look good would you like to attempt it i'm like why not so attempt means in our industry so we need to produce a treatment note as in an imagination of how you would execute which is my forte i imagine everything and yeah. i told them how exactly i would treat the project and that's where we are right now as a company uh it's evident that uh, you know you are enjoying your profession and uh, you've done reasonably well so far um i just want at this point to ask you that um, given your experience uh, mm-hmm. there are a number of blind and visually impaired people who would be listening to this podcast mm-hmm. so what are the kind of uh, uh professions if blind people are interested that they could choose to do in in the film industry um well no let's get technical about it let's not get emotional about it yeah. if you have some sight and some perception and some understanding of depth color making out shapes etc yeah you can attempt even direction like i do because that's all i know yeah but if you don't have that and if you still have a love for storytelling and and doing interesting things sound engineering sound programming lyrics writing just writing uh, corporate stories or scripts or film uh, stories is another very obvious and very interesting area that you could pick up in fact um uh, I, i would say even music programming right you do, you can make music or you sound designing you can give something um, um behind uh, like a like a falling car etc those kind of sound effects uh, games are big on this and stuff like that so depending on my short answer is depending on how much you can see uh, and how much you have to imagine you can literally do just about anything except i think handling the camera uh um in person or being an operator or a cinematographer that's an obvious uh, limitation but i don't know as someone may be able to do that as well because there's so much technology that's coming up sir you don't need to bother about the focus you don't need to bother about the framing um so it's possible that you do that but um if you want to be really really good at what you do and which is what this industry requires of you i think just pick up an area that is not very visually uh, dependent or very manageable for you and go ahead i guess uh, uh, from an from an outsider's point of view uh, i would imagine that uh, if you're totally blind even areas of scripting uh, areas like uh, music creation uh, mm-hmm. should be should be areas that uh, perhaps totally blind people could aspire for right absolutely absolutely because it's ultimately just an expression and and the beautiful part about my industry is that nobody asks where you come from they only ask what you can do right so uh, going forward uh, what are your dreams as a filmmaker okay um i'm graduating so i'm graduating into a role of being a creative producer because uh, i've realized that um i'm falling short as a director maybe it's because my eyesight may be gradually declining or just in terms of the sheer multi layered texturing of things that has happened in the recent past in terms of storytelling stage set design characters expressions 
so earlier i used to get away with just being on the on the headphones and understanding the dialogue delivery and if the dialogue delivery is a certain way i could understand that this must be the expression and i just quickly check around the crew and we could succeed like that but with competition increasing i realized that one has to be really good at their work and direction i'm falling short in terms of reaching that quality so i'm graduating into becoming a creative producer i am definitely aspiring to do a lot of non fiction shows with uh, with you know you know the all the channels that we look up to as kids like discovery and national geography and the bbc and taking on more challenging assignments and um, along the way probably probably doing something uh, good in terms of making the process of production easy making the process of production digital creating a lot of learning material that people who do not belong to mumbai can look at and stuff like that so my my belief is once you know it's simply the following the path of make master and then matter i'm rightly i'm currently at the master stage so i'm going to master um, being a film producer right uh, thank you very much uh, uh, anand for uh, speaking to me and i'm sure uh, people who uh, are listening would be inspired and uh, some of our blind friends who might listen to this also might kind of uh, look at following your footsteps thank you very much have a great day thank you sir thanks for having me i will yeh roshni ka karwa this podcast was brought to you by barrier break solutions private limited and score foundation yeh roshni 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 ka karwa